It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. And welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. You could also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app right across the country. Yes, that's right, anywhere across the country. If you download that app and type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM, just follow the directions and you could be listening anywhere right across Canada at any time. I would like to welcome my first guests to the show today. They are from the Toronto Dominion Bank. Are we talking about finances? Mm, maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit about the bank, but uh, more specifically about art, if you can believe that. Yes, we're going to be talking about art. I am joined by Stuart Keeler. He's the senior art curator at the TD Bank Group and has been the curator for the TD Bank since, I believe, 2017. Correct. I'm also joined by Cleo Straurum. She is the senior, in, uh, senior regional manager of the Indigenous Banking for the TD which she began, I think, in August of this year, in 2019. That's right. It's a pleasure to have them both in this studio with us. And as I mentioned off the top, we're here to talk about art. So uh, it's interesting to note that uh, the TD has gotten involved with Indigenous art. They have at least one gallery in Toronto. And uh, Stuart, you've been, uh, I guess, instrumental in helping set that up, bringing some Inuit art to the, to the gallery. Correct. So the TD Gallery of Indigenous Art uh, is in the South Tower at TD, 79 Wellington. What is great is that the space has been free and accessible to the public mm. since the mid-80s. Our goal uh, within this year has been to change the name from Inui to Indigenous uh, Gallery of Art, uh, but also to amplify all voices of the Indigenous art community from across Canada. Why why do you think it's important for the TD to get involved and, and bring this forward? At TD, uh, within the art collection and throughout global corporate citizenship, our goal is to amplify voices and to connect communities. And so we always feel better, especially in the art world and beyond, when we see ourselves represented in a meaningful and thoughtful way. By only having Inui art means that we're only amplifying one particular voice mm. from the North whereas we can be amplifying and working with and promoting uh, art from across all geographic regions of Canada. Now, of course, that's a, it's, it's wonderful to see, mm-hmm. but why do you think the bank thinks that's important for, for them to take this role on? I love that question. Uh, art with a capital A-R-T is that uh, art does create conversation, and it does especially within communities that we work in. Art within the bank at TD uh, actually does a really interesting thing. Since its founding of over 51 years ago, the art collection has always intended to create conversation, either with our colleagues that we work with, that Cleo and I work with every day, or through clients and customers that are engaging with the art. So there's a purpose to that, is that when we, again, when we see ourselves represented or when we see an idea that is presented in an interesting way, art does create that conversation and allows us to reflect in a deeper, more connected way. So uh, when you say with your clients, it sounds like almost uh, an educational piece or tool. It is, but it's also a piece where it can spark uh, dialogue where you might not necessarily understand the work or you might not necessarily think that contemporary art has anything to do with you as a viewer or as a client, colleague, or customer. 
But actually it does because it art allows us to tell a story or to see a different reflection or to see the world differently. Artists give us that. And really great artists, uh, which TD Bank has over 6,000 pieces, uh, great art really allows that connection point in a much more broader, deeper, more meaningful way. Mm, okay. Uh, Cleo uh, has been sitting there uh, nicely, quietly uh, listening to the conversation. Uh, as I mentioned, she's the Senior Regional Manager for Indigenous Banking for TD, and she's been in that position since uh, August of 2019. And she's responsible for supporting TD's Indigenous clients in Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, and the Atlantic regions. Um, offering both on and off reserve financing with a focus on infrastructure projects and economic development corporations. And together with the, uh, the, the retail and trust partners, they provide full suite of banking services to First Nation, Métis, and Inuit communities and companies across, the can- uh, across Canada. Now, um, of course, uh, TD has been providing uh, Indigenous services um, through that branch or, or arm uh, for, for about, what, 20 years or so? Yeah, so back in the 90s, actually, we helped um, start First Nations Bank of Canada with some other um, Indigenous shareholders Mm. and investors. And I would say that was really our big participation in this this area, was starting the First Nations Bank. But I think it was always a goal for that to be its own independent, self-running operations. Mm. So initially, that was where we focused a lot of our efforts. Um, but over the years, we've kind of removed ourselves from the majority owners to being the minority owners. And now we own less than 20% of First Nations Bank. We're still connected with them. So we have like crossover of board members and we're still, you know, we still work together. But since then, TD has really focused on creating its own group within TD Bank specifically. So I've been in the team for just over four months mm. now, um, but the team has actually been operating as a as a group for like six years. So it's a new focus for the for the bank, and I'm pretty excited to be a part of it. Uh, so let me go back to what you said there. It, it's it, TD Bank proper is a minority shareholder, shareholder in TD Indigenous. Sorry, in First Nations First Bank Nations Canada. Bank, yes, so Canada. right now, First Nations Bank Canada yeah. is its own institution. Really? It's really focused on lending and yeah. banking and personal banking and all of that good stuff for Indigenous peoples of Canada. Yeah. And so it's it's, it's Indigenous-owned, Indigenous shareholders. Um, they operate throughout the country. And that was really like TD's um, first main efforts into the space was helping that, yeah. getting up and running. Yeah. I wasn't aware that it was is separately owned and indigenous owned majority. Yeah. Uh, who who are some of those stakeholders that are involved? Do you know? So Keith Martell heads up um, heads up First Nations Bank of Canada, and he's a CEO there. Um, as far as like the specific shareholders, I don't mm. know those names, but um, but I know Bill Namagoose is highly involved with mm. that, and he's from Quebec. Um, and then we have on our side Vivian Abdelmessi, who's um, from the Commercial Bank of TD, who sits on the board mm. at First, Nas- First Nations Bank. Y- you know, of course, uh, you probably know this, uh, but you're fairly new, of course. I mean, if you go uh, right across the country, uh, Indigenous people uh, have different relationships on and off reserve are different. Uh, dealing with on reserve communities can be challenging at times simply because of the way uh, collateral has not been really allowed exactly. to be used for 
trying to make investments, uh, trying to get collateral. You can't put up your home. You can't put up those kind of things. And that ma- has made it challenging. Yeah. Um, I- do you know anything about how it differs across the, or across the country? So, yeah, so there's lots of, um, well, essentially, mm. just to talk about that really quickly. Sure. So on reserve, typically, it's hard to take security. So mm-hmm. say a regular person who's a member of a First Nation walks into a bank and says, can I please have a mortgage to mm-hmm. buy this house? Banks can't really do that because right. we can't technically take a mortgage. We can't technically take that house as yeah. security because due to restrictions in the Indian Act around ownership and title on reserve and um, the fact that we're not a member of that community, we can't go onto that reserve and yeah. you know right. take ownership of something or take yeah. it off of the reserve. Yeah. Um, but across Canada, yeah, there's definitely huge differences between, I mean, there's so many First Nations governments in Canada, mm-hmm. they all have their own rules, right. region to region. It's yeah. like the West <laughs> seems pretty different from Central. It yeah. seems pretty different from the East. Right. And so when it comes to lending on reserve, it's every single time you approach a new community, you always have to take into consideration what stage they're in, in mm-hmm. their own self-governing or <clears throat> how they manage it. So you just have to take a fresh eyes approach every single time you're touching a community. Mm-hmm. Um Speaking of that, how how does the bank view the relationship with <clears throat> art and finances? Uh, I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is one of the things that that you know the the colonial view has always done is exploit indigenous people in many in many ways. How is how is the art? Uh, helping to bridge that, and and is there a, is the is the the art side of things, uh, you know, giving back to uh, or making sure that that the artists are recognized and royalties or whatever it is. I mean, I know they're, you're probably purchasing the art that you're per- that you're buying, and I'm I'm guessing that that is of course helping the the artists themselves. Yeah, uh, thank you for that. So the goal of the TDR collection is to enrich the lives of our customers, colleagues, and clients and mm. communities. Mm. And so when the senior curator makes an acquisition, that's not just based upon, it's based upon uh, a curatorial platform, research, and also relationship building mm. Mm. and building a sense of trust. When we change the name to the TD Gallery of Indigenous Art from Inuit to Indigenous, uh, what happened is that we had a an advisory committee composed of uh, 12 members from across Canada, uh, arts and culture practitioners and leaders who were able to advise us on best practices in moving forward. Mm. But again, the notion and the complexities and the understanding that relationship and trust are ways of moving forward. Okay. And now, can I also mention something? Yes, absolutely, something? please. There's something I just wanted to mention, like from my perspective as just a regular TD employee. So I joined TD over four years ago, worked mm-hmm. in other areas of yep. the bank that were not related to the indigenous space. And what I was really impressed with with TD was like, I'm just a regular employee, but coming down from on high, I'm getting invited to these diversity events. Mm. And sometimes they're indigenous. And maybe a year or two ago, I was invited to an event that um, featured Kent Monkman. So it was a mm. real focus on art, on indigenous peoples and on uh, the two-spirited culture. And for a regular employee, I was just excited to go because I knew who this guy was and I just wanted to see him speak. But the fact that I got all of those things in one and got to hear about him and him partnering with Jean-Paul Coutier and just it being so fascinating, um, to me that was like TD really stepping up its game 
just for everybody. And it mm. didn't come from the indigenous banking group. It came mm. from, I actually don't know who it came from, but it came from somebody else. From the TD Art collection? Yeah, maybe. Team? I, I don't I even know who's putting it on, but it was good. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I think what uh, what you're talking about is also a uh, theory of change. So around the global citizenship platform, the Ready Commitment, uh, this is where assisting uh, uh, financial contributions to institution, artists, and communities in creating that change. Again, going back to the original moniker, if you will, is when we see ourselves represented, uh, actually we begin to feel a sense of empowerment and a sense of connecting. I'd just like to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to, uh, as I say, Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Toronto, in Ottawa, pardon me. And uh, my guests are Stuart uh, Keeler. He is the uh, Senior Art Curator for the Toronto Dominion Bank, as well as Cleo Strarum. She is the Senior Regional Manager for Indigenous Banking for TD. And uh, she looks after Indigenous clients in the provinces of Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, and the Atlantic region. Uh, both of them uh, uh, taking on some interesting uh, jobs. It is not a, what I would call a straight-up position that either of them have stepped into. Um, Stuart, going back uh, prior to your, your experience and, and becoming part of the TD uh, Bank uh, Art Involvement. Uh, you had some other interesting jobs prior to this, I believe. Sure. I was the chief curator at the city of Mississauga, overseeing the museums and culture aspects, mm. which was very exciting. And then prior to that, I was the uh, chief curator and director, executive director at the Art Gallery of Mississauga. So active within the municipal government sector. But also what was really great there was working closely with the indigenous community in Mississauga and the Peel region. Mm. Uh, Chris Noakes uh, and I, who is with the Peel Aboriginal Network, uh, created a lot of interesting platforms and that education and uh, ampl amp amplification, if you will, of the indigenous people within the Peel region was one, not only very eye-opening for me, but also creating these lasting relationships, which is really wonderful. How would you say what you do <coughs> is different than working in a regular gallery? How is it? Is there a different angle? Are you always thinking of, you know, what are you thinking of when, when right. it's, a, it's a bank? So it's, you know, it's kind of like for me, it's, a, it, it's like, how does, this, how does this differ from a regular sort of a position? Great question. So going back to, again, that capital A-R-T art mm. is that the TD Bank has been collecting for 51 years. And within that, it's always been museum caliber work, always representing the best artwork of its time through the acquisition of pieces by living artists. And so what differs uh, between a gallery, per se, and managing an art collection is huge. Uh, there are similarities. Obviously, the fun parts are working with artists, having great conversations, and being a guest here with Cleo is really <laughs> great. And then other interesting aspects are is that we are managing over 6,000 works from across North America. That's USA and also Canada. And so within that, it's, imagine it's just an ongoing puzzle that's always moving and shifting. The artworks are being moved and mm. moved around. We're acquiring. We're lending. Always exciting. Every mm. day is different. Uh, but again, it, that sense of helping people amplify their voices is actually something that is very meaningful to me within that work. Mm. Now, uh, looking down the road, uh, what do you foresee in terms of how the bank might 
change or present art in different ways, perhaps, or, or use its ability as a bank to introduce the art to its everyday customers that you know, might be walking in uh, to their local branch. Love that. So we do, uh, for, and a great project is the TD Park Royal Branch in West Vancouver. Mm. Uh, this is a really cool, interesting, I would say innovative and leading uh, branch, is that we uh, worked with Indigenous Banking, with Cleo's team, uh, to hire a particular artist, Matthew Baker. Matthew Baker is Squamish Nation and from the Capsilano uh, territory in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. What is great about Park Royal Branch is that it has five works by all Squamish artists within the territory, Musqueam, Salatus, uh, Stelano, and Squamish. And so within that, again, that notion of building relationships with artists, ensuring that there's a variety of voices present mm. from senior uh, totem carver uh, background to more of a contemporary painter. And so this amplification is really exciting. Uh, well, one thing I really like about it is that it's not um, technically on Squamish Reserve. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually originally from Vancouver. I mm-hmm. used to live, uh, I used to work on reserve there. Okay. And so you have the Park Royal um, like mall that kind of straddles yes. two parts of a major road. On the south side is technically right. Squamish Nation. On right. the north side, it's the unceded territory. Okay. And so that's where the branch is. And right. I like that... It's a reflection of Squamish Nation, and it's so close, but it's not specifically. It's it's something about it not being on reserve that actually makes me happier, because um, it's not necessarily just because it's on reserve. Mm. So I like That's that right. a lot. So what do people see when they walk into this branch? You walk in. Uh, so you you are you have just parked your car. Okay. And you, now you are walking towards the building. Mm-hmm. What you see are, are Matthew Baker's car, uh, cedar carvings on the exterior of the mm-hmm. facade. Mm-hmm. That's your greeting point. You know that something's different here because they're handmade, they're mm-hmm. hand-carved. Mm-hmm. You can run your hand along the carving. You can, it's an, a major education piece. Mm-hmm. You walk in and you mm-hmm. begin to see murals, uh, again, by Matthew Baker. Uh, but then on the other, flip side of the mural... There's also historic photographs from the reserve, from mm. the traditional land and territory from the early 1900s. Mm. So there's a nice connection to the history, but also to the contemporary voice of today. Mm. As you begin to stand in line, uh, now you want to do your, your banking. Mm. Uh, you see a wolf mask by Richard Baker. Uh, the wolf mask, uh, very beautiful, hand-carved, Haida style. And then as you begin kind of losing your kind of ambling and dreaming, you look farther into the distance and you see a large cedar uh, polychrome multicolored medallion disc mm. uh, by Jim Charlie. And then as you're leaving, now you're done, you're, you're leaving, you're walking out the door, there's a mask by Kim Nadi uh, on one particular wall. And then there's uh, one of my favorite works is by Gigame Kukwitz, uh, who's a senior indigenous artist from Squamish, uh, small paintings which are in a totemic style very abstract, mm. all very memorable work, but all, again, using these artists are using tradition and the history and myths uh, and bringing them forward in a really contemporary, interesting way. So it sounds wonderful. What I'm wondering about is, is, is the physical space it changed from a, a, you know, a regular setup of a bank as you walk in because of the way this is presented or... No, uh, I would say that it feels like a bank. Okay, it just feels yeah. hypersensitive to right. design and yeah. aesthetics. Yeah. You feel a sense of pride in mm. being there. Mm. Another example is Seventy Seven Bloor here in Toronto, okay. 
And at uh, Bayonne Bloor, there's another signature branch. Uh, and so that's where we put uh, a lot of contemporary work. Mm-hmm. At that particular branch, we have Robert Houle from the Saltu First Nations. Nice. And we have uh, Bo Dick Mask, who's Kwakawa from Northern British Columbia. In addition to other artists, Maggie Grote, um, Shuvanaya Shuna, who's also Inui. But the goal here is, again, to ensure that we are amplifying voices and creating conversation. And it's really wonderful to walk in there and to either see a clamor of seven kids, a family was waiting, mom and dad were in line, Mm. and I saw these kids kind of standing around a pauta, salia, Mm. bear, Mm. carved Inuit piece. Uh, Really kind of wonderful because there's also a didactic, a text next to each work Mm. so that people can learn not only about why Mm. art is important at TD, but also why we are presenting it in mm. this in this way, and and how long? Sorry, you, well, I was just thinking, um, like, kind of back to that question about the responsibility of corporate yeah. culture and art. Mm-hmm. I think that, from my perspective, I mean, I'd been to a couple of art galleries through school mm-hmm. or something along those lines when I was younger, but hadn't spent a ton of time in art galleries, really knowing what I was doing. But when you first join TD Bank as an associate in the commercial banking program, um, right at the beginning, you get a tour with your little um, banker associate class of the 54th floor of TD Bank. And a part of that tour is talking about the artwork Mm. that's on that floor. Mm. And one of the first things I learned about TD is that we had an Inuit art collection, which is now the Indigenous Art Collection. But that's brought up very early on in any new employee who joins the bank. And even if you look at all of the buildings at King and Bay of TD, all the, we have like four or five buildings, they all have a artwork, like a very big piece of art like right in the lobby that you can see from the street. And I feel like it just exposes regular people like me to art, what I would not normally have. And also getting these tours of the art collections from um, folks from Stewart's team it's like the first time I ever got my own private tour with actual mm. explanations mm. and details behind artwork. So for me personally, I just feel like it's upped my game a bit and I can mm. almost talk about art. <laughs> uh, I get the sense that, that this is also uh, helping you in your position. I get the sense that you know, you're, you're traveling around and you're seeing this. It helps you uh, feel more comfortable about, about uh, working in the, the institutional and the, and the financing side of, of the TD Bank. Yeah, because I work in finance, and a lot of what I do is about lending money to Mm. First Nations governments or businesses owned by First Nations Mm -hmm. or banking stuff. But I represent, you know, Indigenous people of Canada, or Mm -hmm. those are the people that I serve, and they're very diverse themselves. And there's a lot of them who are artists, who love art, and the fact that this is something that we support at TD Bank, and so openly and so much so, um, I think it just makes a huge difference, and it makes me very proud that I can go out there and, and know that we have this indigenous art collection, and we have the Park, Park Royal branch, and we have all these public spaces that are available to employees of the bank and to the public that ha- feature indigenous artwork. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. So, so just adding to that, so <laughs> it is exciting for me to hear that, so thank you. But the collection is not just a matter of dollars and decoration. Rather, it's a commitment of TD to a higher and fuller, richer, robust, mm. fuller life within while you are at work. Nowadays, we spend a lot of our time at work. And so imagine walking by museum-quality work, having your colleagues talk about it. You love it. They hate it. That dialogue is what makes 
This is a very exciting space. Oh, yeah, I, I can. I mean, it wouldn't be a bad thing to go by and see a very beautiful piece of <laughs> in your work environment. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't diminish the experience. Let's put it that way. Um, Cleo, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, and, and Stuart, to some degree, this might be interesting to see how you, uh, you figure into this. Uh, it's TD Bank dealing with finances. Um, you know, the issue of finances or money has always been a very different perspective from the indigenous world. So I'm sure you've come across that in your, in your work environment. Well, it's very fascinating because, um, so I'm, I'm half First Nations on my mother's side okay. and mm -hmm. from my mom and from my brother, there's always been this, um, a little bit of distrust of the financial sector and of, you know, mm -hmm. like electronic and sure. banking and yep. having all that good stuff. So just even me trying to convince my own family to set up their online banking or make sure they do everything through their bank accounts has been an interesting, you know, exposure for me because... For me, I've always, like, I opened up my first bank account with TD Canada Trust when I was, like, 11 years old. So mm. so that is, like, very interesting. And one of the things that we really want to do is increase access to banking, financial services, to capital, to individuals on reserve. And um, getting passed through some of those barriers is uh, a part of that, as well as um, getting past some of the barriers of, like, access to Internet. So doing things like mobile banking, um, or like electronic funds traffer mm. transfers, um, that is not always easy for folks yeah. who are in particularly more remote communities. Yeah. And so another area that we're trying to figure out is how can we increase that ability for folks to be able to access online banking and, right. and potentially go like cashless mm. to make lives a little bit easier. Uh, of course, that, that mistrust or distrust that you were referring to goes right back to the, of course, uh, uh, can, uh, Canada and the indigenous uh, relationship because of what has happened to indigenous people over the years. The, the idea of giving up your personal information, handing it over somewhere, sure. is, 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 is for some indigenous people very hard because of that, uh, sure. that relationship and the history that, that has happened. And my uh, hope is just that over time as we continue to work in this space and you know try to support not only our customers, but like Stuart's mentioned lots of times, our communities, our colleagues, and really focus on this space that yeah. hopefully we can you know win that trust back yeah. over. Yeah. Um, because we are trying really hard to do our best and I think it's, I think it's the future personally. Mm. Great. Thank you for that. Uh, I have one. I don't know if this is a quick question, Stuart, and I don't know if it, it's, it's relevant, uh, but uh, I, I believe in, in part of your, your working history and some of the things you were involved with, uh, I th you, you looked at uh, displaced people, I believe, and uh, some of that uh, fell into, I guess, the, the Jewish population and those kind of things. How did this, does this help, did this help you at all prepare for working in this, this new realm you find yourself in? Uh, thank you for that. One of my research areas as a curator, there are, curators typically usually have five or seven areas mm. of, of expertise or mm -hmm. research. Uh, one of my research areas of interest has been uh, diaspora communities and mm -hmm. how contemporary art or how museum spaces either amplify or assist in creating that sense of belonging mm -hmm. or, or that disenfranchisement, which can belong oftentimes with contemporary art. What has been interesting to me in Mississauga or in Chicago or New York or Atlanta is that there's a common experience and a commonality that many people from diaspora or immigrant uh, communities may mm. feel. Mm. And so 
But I do believe in the power of contemporary art and the ability of artists to not only to bring complexity in really simple visual ways, but in interesting ways that make people feel like they're being heard, like they're being represented. Mm. That, to me, is where the key to prosperity Mm. and the key to having a meaningful connection to your community comes from. Okay, great. Um, Cleo, any final words? Just want anything else come to mind for you just before we end our conversation? Um, Part of my job when I go out there is to not just talk about financing, but to talk about the other aspects that we do, Mm. like all of the investments that we do in Indigenous Mm. communities, Mm. um, our art component, but also Mm -hmm. our colleague component, and that includes recruitment of Indigenous people and um, really focusing on existing Indigenous employees. So every time I'm meeting with... um, First Nations, people, governments, anything, I bring this up. And I always say, please reach out to me if you have any anybody that you would like to introduce to TD mm-hmm. Bank. And we also have a specific HR recruiter who focuses on sourcing talent and acquisition talent of Indigenous people. And then from my perspective, um, when I was working in the commercial bank, my boss, Doris Baer, who heads up Indigenous Banking for Canada, she reached out to me. She had... Like she had coffees with me. She just was very casual with me. Um, And I got to know her and I really appreciated her doing that and reaching out. And I think that's one of the big reasons that I actually uh, want to come over and join this group. Mm -hmm. And so now as um, the senior regional manager for Indigenous Banking, I try to do the same. So every time I find out that there's an Indigenous employee, either they're new or they're existing, I try to reach out to them and meet with them. And I think that support network that exists at TD is very apparent and lovely and something I'm happy to be a part of. Great. Thanks for sharing that. Stuart, you had something you want to add? Yeah, just in wrap-up, uh, just the TD Gallery of Indigenous Art is a rotating exhibition mm. space. It's mm. free and accessible and open to the public seven mm. days a week. And I am inviting everybody to come visit us. And uh, people want to find out more, they can go to uh, tdart.com. <laughs> Great. Okay, so I want to thank my two uh, guests that came into the show today. Uh, Stuart Keeler, he is the senior art curator at the Toronto Union Bank and Group, and also Cleo Strarum. She is the senior regional man- re- manager for Indigenous Banking and uh, looking after the provinces of Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, and the Atlantic Division. So thank you both for coming in. Really appreciate you uh, coming in, taking the time, and sharing uh, this great work that the TD Bank is doing, and uh, wish you all the best in you in the future. Well, thank you so much for having us, David. Our really pleasure. appreciate it. Nicholas, Don't go you. away. We'll be right back on Moment of Truth right after this. And welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and, of course, you could be listening on the Radio Player Canada app anywhere across the country if you downloaded that app and type in 106.5 ELMNT-FM or 95.7 ELMNT-FM and you could be listening on the device of your choice right across the country 24 hours a day. I'd like to welcome my next guest to the show. She's Pamela Hart. She's the Executive Director of the Native Women's Resource Centre of Toronto And the Resource Center is a community-based organization dedicated to providing resources and support to urban Indigenous women and their families. And it delivers culturally relevant programs and services that empower and build the collective capacity and self-sufficiency of Indigenous women. That sounds uh, like a very worthy cause right there. So, Pamela, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. 
So uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's December, it's holiday time, and of course our, our thoughts always go to, uh, to people that are either in need or uh, people that uh, need some extra help. And of course um, that falls in different categories. It could be anywhere from clothing to food, mm -hmm. uh, trying to help some extra uh, some money, so, so maybe donations of some kind of maybe uh, uh, you know, food bank dollars, I don't know, whatever it might be need that people need. Uh, what are the kind of programming that, that, that the center gets into to, to help support specifically women and the families? So this year for the holiday season, we've had a ton of support, which we're super grateful for. This morning, I was just with Rocket Cycle, which is a spin gym on St. Clair, who's doing mm. 12 days of giving, and they mm. are doing a drive for us to provide winter gear for women and children. We also receive hundreds of gift boxes from RBC, who make individualized gift boxes for children, mm. um, zero to 16, so that we can give those out at our winter solstice celebration, which is being held on Friday afternoon. And that's where we gather and have food and drumming and singing, and we give out gift boxes. Um, so we've received lots of donations to try and make that time uh, special for the community. And so we're always accepting clothing and food and monetary donations to help support making um, the time a little bit easier for the mothers and the children who come through our center. We also will try and give out um, turkeys mm -hmm. and uh, sort of Christmas-themed mm -hmm. food bank boxes um, around closer to the holidays so that families can have the items they need to make a really nice Christmas dinner. Right. That sounds great. Now, in case uh, someone is out there listening mm -hmm. that says, yeah, I want to donate. I have something I want to donate. How can I help? Where can they reach you? They can come on by anytime that we're open and bring anything they feel might be worthy and um, helpful to mm -hmm. the work that we're doing. Um, we're always happy to meet people and accept and have a conversation around what we're doing. And um, we're open to various donations that can help with our food bank or with the gift boxes that we're trying to hand out. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that people can make donations online. Um, would they go to uh, nwrct.ca? They would. And there's a link and they can make a monetary donation, which we welcome very much. Uh, now, in case you said uh, pe people can drop by as well, mm -hmm. where where would can you want to hand them out the yeah, address? Yeah, we're at 191 Gerard Street East, right. um, and they can come by with whatever that they have, and we're open from 10 to 4.30. There you go. That's great. Um, now, how long has the center been around? It was established in 1985, mm. and uh, it was formed by some women in the community, and they started in the basement mm. in the area, and then eventually they obtained the building we're currently in, and so they've been in operation ever since, and it's really a staple for the community. I think women uh, have been either volunteering there, work there, used the services. My mother herself has used the services. Mm. My aunt used to volunteer there. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, it's really known, um, and it's become a large support system for women and children. you have any idea how many people you might service or help uh, through a given year? In a day, it could be anywhere from 3 to 45. Mm. We serve a hot lunch, and then mm. some days it's just packed in there. Mm. And um, I'd say within a year, we're serving our, at least 1,200 women and then children of various ages throughout the year as well. 
So we offer programs for the women specifically, right. but also for the children specifically. Now, you, you mentioned uh, you provide uh, hot lunch and things. So obviously there's staff there and there, you obviously have some, uh, some chefs or cooks on We hand. do, yes. We have a wonderful team. All of the women really pulled their weight in trying to offer enriched and thoughtful programs and meals. And sometimes the hot lunches that we serve is, you know, the only meal that someone might get in a mm. day. It also helps alleviate, you know, the cost of living. Sure. And so it, we're trying to offer opportunities that support in any way um, so that the day-to-day is a little bit easier for the women and their children. Mm. Um, now, I see from the, the mandate that the center operates under, you try to incorporate the uh, seven teachings. Mm-hmm. Um can you elaborate? How do you how do you try to incorporate those things? Sure. So for me, it's very important that I keep those seven teachings in mind um, as we progress and we try and grow. It's also something that we try to embed within the team and all that we do as far as interactions with each other, interactions as a team and our operations so that the the teachings and the culture and the spirit Mm. is felt through everything that we do in day to day so that when women and children come into the center, they really feel a sense of welcome and love and spirit. And Mm. so that they have a sense of true community when they come into the center, that it's not just a place to get service and programs, but it's really a place of community and home and that it's comfortable and that they know the embedded teachings of our culture are really executing the work that we do. You know, as you were speaking, I I thought of something, and I'm just wondering if, if you can answer this, and I'm not sure if you can, but um, in providing the services and the people that come through the doors that that you're you're helping, uh, Toronto's been around a long time. Indigenous people have been around even longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, many people still live in in home reserves and on communities, but a lot of people are migrating to the cities. Yes. Um, do you f- do you find that the population of the people you're helping are more urban based or are they people that have relocated to the city that need some help you know getting established so we definitely have a large urban indigenous population that's primarily uh, what the population we serve is however we do have a large number of women who are relocating um, so we 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 get people who are trying to find different opportunities by coming into the city sometimes we have women who have to come into the city because they have Um, high-risk pregnancies or they need specific services. So we definitely try and offer supports to Mm. those who are visiting or who are relocating so that they understand they have a safe and comforting space to be that will maybe make them feel more comfortable Mm. when they come into a city that's so big and sometimes scary as Toronto can be. We also... um, will provide services to those who are just sort of passing through. Um, We often are faced, unfortunately, with women who are victims of human trafficking or Mm. violence. Mm. And so they've come into the city by circumstances not of their choice. And so we have a team that will work with them as well that will ensure their safety and their security. Um, And so we're really trying to touch as many individuals as we can and... We really take each person and their story and their path and their journey, mm. person by person, and meet them where where they need us to. That that's interesting that you you uh, mentioned that because I was uh, I, it makes I guess perfect sense that uh, some women may be 
uh, fleeing from uh, a bad relationship or something mm-hmm. of that nature that they need to, to find somewhere safe to go. Yes. Yep. And so we have a trauma support team that uh, primarily works with these individuals. We have two in-house traditional healers mm. who will do one-on-one and crisis intervention nice. um, to offer a very cultural, spiritually focused perspective to healing and sort of gaining confidence away from those situations and keeping them safe mm. from anything that they might be fleeing. You mentioned the culturally, you know, uh, uh, specific and and uh, kind of, of approach that you, you have. Do those do those services do those things uh, bring comfort bring comfort to people? I believe that they do. I think that unfortunately for the community, we're sometimes faced with difficult situations that are brought forth due to things that are beyond our mm. control, and they are results of historical traumas. Mm-hmm. And I think that to begin the healing process and to regain confidence and identity, reconnecting to culture and spirit is one way of sort of breaking out of that pattern Mm. um, and reclaiming your voice and who you are as an indigenous woman. Mm. Uh, Pamela Hart is the executive director for the Native Women's Resource Center of Toronto. She's my guest in the studio. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, and this is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. Uh, Pamela, if you don't mind me asking, how long have you been in the position as executive director? Uh, it will be two years in April. Well, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> what did you do prior to that? I worked uh, at another Indigenous women's agency mm-hmm. in the city. It was a VAW shelter for women okay. fleeing abuse for mm-hmm. women and children. And previous to that, I worked with Indigenous men uh, mm-hmm. in the homeless and shelter sort of sector. Hmm. Uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, so you've been working within this this kind of area for mm-hmm. quite some time. Yeah, I've been working in the community for over 10 years, um, sort of in the social work setting and trying to really just give back and be a part of the community and support those who maybe feel like they don't have a voice or who have just lost a bit of direction and just need support and uh, help the community remember and recognize who they are and where they come from and that, you know, the community is a strong one and it's an enriched one uh, and that there are people um, out there to support. And uh, I think that more and more we are becoming aware of the issues that have always been in place for the community, but more and more we're having conversations about it. And I just really want to be a part of the growth and the confidence that the community is slowly gaining. What first drew you into this line of work? Why did you get involved? It sort of just happened. (laughs) I grew up not knowing the culture very much myself. Uh, My mother was part of the 60s scoop and Mm. didn't grow up with her identity. And Mm. so I didn't as a result. And when I moved to Toronto from Ottawa, I stumbled upon this agency and I started working there and I realized that I was missing something in my personal life, which was my culture and my Mm. community. Mm. And so I just knew that it was something I had to be a part of and that it was always the work I was going to do is just sort of part of who I am. And I just want to be immersed in it and give back and be an advocate for some of the injustices that the community still faces. Now, when you say you grew up uh, and you, you didn't have uh, you didn't have that knowledge or connection to your culture and the, the background, 
when you started to open that door and, and, and step into it, mm-hmm. uh, I see the smile on your face, so I, I think I know the answer, but it, it obviously, and I know, I know it from myself as well, because sure. I grew up the same way, um, is that it, uh, for me, it really filled in this, this, this big black hole that I had in my life. Yeah, it was very nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. It was very scary to embark on this culture that was so strong and confident and to feel like you have no place in it, mm-hmm. um, yet you have an undeniable need to just immerse yourself in it. And once you start embracing it and you're a part of the culture and you partake in ceremony, you just form into a completely different person. And I think you begin to heal from some of the things you were missing. And like you said, there's just a void that Mm. gets filled Mm -hmm. um, and answers start to form and your confidence and your capacity starts to grow. And that's really what we're trying to do at the center is remind the community of those pieces and build the capacity and the confidence from within. And I think that reconnection to culture is really the starting point to do that. The other thing that the center does uh, through uh, wanting to help in that area is it provides many different programs. It does, yes. Uh, can you give us a sense sure. of some of those? So we offer an education program, hmm. so some literacy, basic computer skills, educational upgrading. We offer employment services for resume building, job searches, dress for success. We have our trauma support team. We have family support. We have children's programming zero to six. We have a housing team to help with various housing needs with a drop-in room for showers, Mm. laundry, clothing, hygiene Mm. products. And then we have our traditional elements, which is ceremony and drum circles and crafts and singing and um, we'll, we try and do feasts and honoring ceremonies throughout the year through the various programs. And so we're really trying to touch every aspect of a person and any barriers they might be facing and offer support around all of those elements. And we're also working to try and fill any voids that we're identifying. So youth is a big one and mm. we're offering youth specific programs. Um, We're doing a drum workshop this morning where they get to build a drum from Mm. scratch by themselves and with the direction of a traditional healer. Mm -hmm. And that really begins, you know, a a throwback to the historical um, activities that we would have done. And hopefully that instills something in the youth and reminding them of where they come from. You know, um, for non-Indigenous people, perhaps the idea of of building a drum Mm -hmm. may seem like a a small thing or how does that connect to the you know but of course for uh, as you learn as you learn more about the indigenous culture that that drum uh, is the heartbeat of mother nature and that is the earth that we are grounded to and so it is a very important and real thing if anyone doesn't think that the earth is a living being they should think again Agreed. Yes. Uh, I was talking to the woman outside just about that, about Mm. the earth and ignoring what it is and what's happening to it. Mm. And like you said, the drum is the heartbeat. It represents that and it can bring anyone to tears with just a few beats. Mm. And it's a spirit. It it came from a living item and Mm -hmm. it now is something that you have to carry in honor throughout its existence. And so... Uh, it's important that we offer those opportunities for for everyone to come through. Um, we offer a drum a drum circle every Wednesday night for women to come together and just play their drums and play those healing songs and lift their spirits. Nice. 
Um, the other thing I think that the center does is it, it gets involved with advocacy, if I'm not mistaken. It does. Yeah. We try we try and support women where we can. We go to court. We go to, um, you know, family mediations. We will go to the youth justice court. We also, I sit at different tables where we're fighting for the community, for the rights of women, for in the indigenous women, MMIWG. Mm-hmm. We're always trying to remind people of the importance of the community and the issues that we continue to face. Obviously, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls has become a really, um, you know, big discussion in the last year or so with the inquiry. And so we're always trying to push and advocate for the reminder that this is still an ongoing issue and the discussion needs to remain. We also have um, a lot of work around the trans and two-spirit community, which is Mm -hmm. sometimes a portion that's overlooked. And so we offer programs and services for that portion. And we're always sort of out there trying to remind people about the struggles that they're facing and that we offer supports for them as well. Sisters in Spirit? Yes, we do the Sisters in Spirit every year. Mm-hmm. So it is a way for us to have ceremony and honor all of those who have lost. It's also an opportunity for the community to come together and honor any lives that um, have passed on. And we get together and we can hold um, a moment of solitude and unity and remember that you know this is an ongoing issue and it has been ongoing for a very long time um that it can't go unignored and every year we will remain doing the ceremony it's in allen gardens and it will happen every october great um i'm wondering what as a center uh, since your involvement and uh, being executive director, what what did you what would you say is the the largest challenge that the center is facing right now? I think with all agencies, non for profits, uh, a big challenge is capacity, and you know having the means to do everything to mm. the best that you can, and finding yeah. finding the dollars to support the capacity. Mm. I also think that uh, growth is one of our largest goals and expansion. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, gaining the stability and all the resources required to grow and expand and really reach out to the community and fill in all the blanks that we're trying to fill in. Uh, I I think that the center has come a very long way. We're doing amazing work. The team is extremely hardworking. We see so many women and children come through and there's so much laughter and there's so much spirit. We're resilient. The community is resilient mm. um, and we find a way and we get it done. But the the issues the women are facing are still very real. Right. And so we're still fighting, fighting for that every day. So that leads me into the, uh, part two of that. And, and you've kind of touched on it. But um, how has how has what you do uh, changed over the years do you see a change in this in the kind of services that are required so i don't think that there has been a kind of change so much as that there's more awareness about the issues Mm -hmm. so the issues have always been there for the community it's only now are we talking about them Mm. more and are more people interested or curious about what we're facing and so there's more attention to the work that we're doing the needs are always there they've always been there 
But if you take something like sexual violence and human trafficking across society, that's become a, a deeper discussion. And so all of a sudden now we're able to speak about that more openly and we're able to offer different types of services because the funding is there or people want to give more support or they're identifying that this is now a need, but it's always been a need. The needs have always been there. Right. Right. Uh, leading into the next part of the question, that is, what would you say is the center's greatest successes that you've had? The greatest successes, I think, is bringing the women in, making them feel safe, making them feel warm. We have two traditional healers who are amazing, who are offering ceremonies on a regular basis. And I think that that's one of the biggest and strongest things that we're doing is offering that ceremony for women and children. It's it's time for the community to get back to that ceremony mm. and to feel connected to spirit in that way mm. so that they can begin their healing. We also have uh, the human trafficking work, which is uh, is at a crucial turning point. We're one of very few agencies to be doing this type of work. Um, and so we're offering supports for a very vulnerable portion of the population. Um, and then all of the cultural programming that we're doing, I think, are is every single time we hold this work, these workshops, it's a huge success because it means that we're reconnecting people to who they are. You mentioned success. I mentioned success. Uh, I, I'm wondering, are there any... Any stories, without mentioning names, you don't, have, of course, have to mention names. I'm just wondering, has anyone come back through the, through the doors to the center over, over time uh, and thanked the center uh, you know, and, and said something about how it helped them to move forward and, and you know, onto a better life? Sure. We have uh, a lot of women who come in and say thank you that this place feels like home, mm. that without the center, they don't know where they would be. We have individuals who were at breaking points in their mm. lives where they were at a fork where mm. they could have gone down two different paths but because of the of the support and the programs that the center has offered they've found success and strength um, and community and so I've heard several times that people are just so thankful that they feel like it's safe that they have somewhere to go as an Indigenous woman that's safe and secure and comforting. Mm. Um, and for me, that's the biggest success is I really just want the women to feel happy and empowered and sure. a part of something. And so uh, the more that I hear that, and we definitely have women coming in on a regular basis and returning, um, it makes me very satisfied that myself and the team are doing you know, what we're setting out to do. Mm. Uh, you mentioned earlier in the program that uh, you, you moved from Ottawa. Were you raised in the Ottawa area? I was. I was, yep. I was born in Toronto, but raised in Ottawa. I moved here at 19 and mm. never looked back. <laughs> <laughs> of course, as mentioned earlier, we, we broadcast into the Ottawa area, so mm -hmm. we have listeners there. Um, how was your time in Ottawa? It was good. Ottawa is a beautiful city. Mm -hmm. I had some interest in the community at a young age, but wasn't very familiar with the resources or mm -hmm. what it was all about. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't, I didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. I was going to school. I was sure. a high school student. Yep. I worked. Yep. And that was basically it. It was scratching the surface of who I was as a person. Mm -hmm. um, and when I moved to Toronto and was able to embark in the community, it sort of dug a little deeper into who I was, uh, and it's led me to, to sit here with you today. <laughs> um, okay, so we're almost out of time, but I wanted to find out, uh, you, you do something with an, an award. The Menaki Awards. Yeah. Yes. 
So the Menachie Awards have been on a bit of a hiatus, but okay. we're in the works of planning them again for the future. Yep. The Menachie Awards are held to honor and recognize uh, specific women in the community in various sort of themes. And we feel that it's a very important celebration to honor Indigenous women who are making moves in the community, who have overcome barriers and uh, struggles, personal struggles, community, society struggles, and who have come and rose to the top. We want to honor one another. We want to celebrate. We want to gather. We also want to fundraise uh, and bring resources into the center. And it's a really nice evening to get together um, and have food and gather and drum and celebrate the successes that the indigenous women are doing all over the place. If someone wants to nominate someone, is do they? How do they go about doing that? So, or how do you find the people that you want? Everything to would be on our website, okay. and there would be an, there will be a nomination process okay. where we would outline sort of the categories yeah. and who would qualify, um, and then we would pick someone from there, and uh, and then we would honor them on the evening. So. We, we hope to have them in the spring. Yep. Nothing has been confirmed yet, okay. but people can definitely keep an eye on our website and uh, keep posted on news and planning. And uh, just so people know what those categories are, you have uh, categories in the Monarchy Awards for leadership, advocacy, and human rights, as well as the Good Path, LGBTQ, uh, and to spirit as well as challenger award and cultural keeper challenger award what, what's that one about i think the challenger would be to challenge um people who think in the box who are challenging mm. you know the mundane sort mm. of go day-to-day okay. thinking sure. and actions someone who's challenging to make positive moves who's challenging others to think differently challenging others to challenge themselves um, someone who's really just out there being bold and uh, challenging the system and society. Great. Uh, sounds wonderful. Uh, uh, Pamela, thank you so much for coming in today. It was my pleasure. It was really it's nice really talking to you. It's really been great speaking with you and uh, great work that this the center is doing. Thank Congratulations. You. Thank you. And uh, again, uh, all the best for the holiday season. And let's hope that uh, you're able to bring some joy and some some. Uh, some happiness and some uh, good, great meals to yes. people in the community. Thank you, miigwech. You're very welcome. That is Pamela Hart. She's the executive director of the Native Women's Resource Center in Toronto. You've been listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. I'm your host, David Moses, and it's been a pleasure speaking with uh, Pamela right here on the show. And that is our show for today. So miigwech, uh, Pamela, for coming in and speaking with us. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Make sure to tune in next time right here on Element FM for Moment of Truth. Until then, onigiha.